0: your Bible, please, and turn to 1 John, chapter 5. The book of 1 John, chapter 5. And if you're not familiar, there's the Gospel of John. But then toward the end of your Bible is 1, Second, and 3 John. So it's pretty close to the end if you're looking in your Bible to find it. 1 John, chapter 5. And we'll just... Get to where we're going in just a second. But I want to start this morning by asking you a question. And so I, I want your attention and I want you to think. Um, I want you to look here and I want you to think, all right? So I'm going to ask you a question. And I need you to apply this question in your own life. And the question is and I want you to think seriously about this because it's, it's, it's a true thing, it's something that could happen. All right? Everybody got that? If you died today, where would you go? And I want you to think about it. Because it is a reality that it's possible that somebody in this room could go out into eternity today. Say, well, that's not a very fun way to start a message. Maybe it's not fun, but it's real. And that's what you and I need is real. We don't need um, people telling us things that just make us feel good all the time. We need real things from God's Word that are relevant to the soul. So if you, if you died today, where would you go? Are you thinking about it? Do you know for sure? Sure. Because some people don't think you can know for sure. Some people think you, well, you've, you've got to live your life first, and, and then you'll find out where you go. You know what? I would hate to live that way without uncertainty because there's no do overs, there's no second chances. You know, I I talk to people at times, and I ask them that question that I just asked you, and I've heard people say this. They say, well, I try to live a good life. I try to do the best I can, and hopefully God will see all of that, and one day he'll let me in. In other words, God's going to look at my life's work that I've tried so hard to live a good life and be a good person, and it's just going to You know, I do some bad things, but on the scale that God keeps, all my good things are going to outweigh the bad I hope, and God will let me in. That's how a lot of people think. Um, People think different ways about different things. Just this last week, I was at the grocery store, and I had bought, purchased all the things I needed, and most of the time, I used that self-checkout that Safeway has now and so on, but this time, that was full, and all of the cashier registers were all empty. So I was like, you know what, I'm going over there. And so I went over there, and I just only had a few things, and I put it on there. And, and this the guy who was running the, the register, the till, we just started talking about world events. And we're talking about what's happening in the Middle East and, and with the nation of Israel and, and Hamas and all those things. And he was a younger guy, and he, he was... You know, we were talking about maybe some stories or whatever. And he said to me, he goes, you know, when I die, I want to go out in a blaze of glory, he said. That's how I want to go out. And I looked at him and I said, you don't know when that is. And my guess is you're probably not going to have any control over the day that you die. And I said, what's really important is that you need to know that your soul is right with God now. Amen. That that's the most important thing. And that's how you know, friend, that your eternity is secure. When your soul is right with God right now. In our text this morning, in 1 John chapter 5, I want you to look at one verse. In verse 13 says, These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that, ye may be, or, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. John writes here and he says, These things have I written unto you that ye may know that ye have eternal life. This is a great verse of scripture, friend. And the reason is is that it's telling us that we can know right now whether my soul is secure and whether or not my soul is at peace with God. I can know this today, right now. The word know here in this verse, it means to perceive or understand. In other words, and it carries the meaning, friend, of this, to remove all doubt. I can know. I can perceive, I can understand that my soul is right with God and it removes all doubt in the equation. So John says, I wrote all of this to you that believe on Jesus Christ so that all doubt will be removed as to whether or not you are truly saved. What a statement! What an amazing statement! And it seems important then to me that if John says, I wrote these things so that you can know that you have eternal life, it seems important then that we ought to go back and find out what it was that he wrote so that we can know. Amen? Make sense? If I were to give you a description of the entire book of 1 John, 1 John is all about describing what a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ will look like on a person. Now, and I say that because there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians. You ask him, are you a Christian? They're like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I've always been a Christian. I grew up a Christian. A lot of people claim to be Christians. But John says there are some things, and in the whole book is about describing What a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ or being a Christian will actually look like on a person. And the truth is, friend, when Jesus Christ is in a person's life, nothing is or ever can be the same as it was. And let me point out a few things to you this morning that John states will be evident in a person who is truly born again and how we can know that we have eternal life. That's the direction we're going to go. We're going to be all over the the book of 1 John this morning. I'm going to draw out some things that John says, this will be in your life if you're truly saved. And the opposite is also true. If these things are not in your life, then you're not what you say you are. Does that make sense? All right, everybody knows where we're going. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless it, and then we'll continue. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today. With your word, and Lord, I pray that you'd use your word in my life and in the life of these people here. And Lord, I pray that we would have an intentional heart and mind with engaging with what is said and what is read from the scriptures today. And Lord, I pray that you'd draw people to yourself. And there are some today who are not truly saved. Maybe they have claimed to be Christian, maybe they've even had a profession of faith in Christ. But Lord, the question is, does their life bear it out? Is there evidence of it? It's not in the words that we say. And Lord, I pray that you'd use your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that I want to point out to you that John writes and says uh, about a person who is truly saved, he says, you can know that you have eternal life. The first thing we need to point out here is that when you're a born-again believer and you're truly saved, there's brand new life. There's new life. And John says in 1 John 3, in verse 9, go over there with me. First John chapter 3 in verse 9. Notice what he says here. He says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Now, notice in this verse that John says a person who is born of God, talking about being born again, we're talking about uh, being saved, having your soul right with God. John says a person who is born of God doth not commit sin for his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin. And the reason for that is because he's born of God. He has life from God. Now, when this verse is talking about him, a person not committing sin, it's not talking about sinless perfection. In other words, when you get saved and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that you'll never, ever sin again. The word commit here in this verse, the word means observing or it means to tarry. It's not talking about a single act. It's talking about a lifestyle. It's talking about the way that we are naturally, the way that we live. It's talking about a practice. And the idea here is that when a person truly gets saved, he has imparted new life. It's spiritual life, and that spiritual life changes things about him, and he cannot practice sin the way that he used to practice sin. That's why the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation— Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's a new life that God imparts and grants. And you know what happens with this new spiritual life that God gives? The old life of sin is gone. The old life of sin is passed away. I'm a new person and I don't do the same things that I used to do. That's what it means. We have new desires. The things that we crave, the things that we desire, they're new in Jesus Christ. We have new longings. We have new thoughts. We have new actions about us. There's new power to overcome the things that we could never stop. You know, there are people who say, I wish I could change something about me. This is the thing in my life. I need a life change, but I just don't know how to do it, and I can't seem to do it. And every time I try, I always fail, and I'm back to the same things. You know why that is, friend? Because the old sin nature dominates your life and you don't have new life from Jesus Christ. Because when you're born again and you are a believer in Christ, you have new power to overcome the old life of sin. That power wasn't there before. It used to be, and I used to be, a person with a fairly bad temper I used to be somebody with a filthy mouth. I used to be somebody who had problems with authority and prideful. You know what? There might be some other people... In their natural state you got a bad temper, you hold grudges against other people. There's no heart for forgiveness towards other. You got a filthy mouth when no one's watching. Listen, there might be people who are born who say that they're born again, who are believers in Christ and they act one way around Christian people when they're in church, but when they're alone or they're on the job site, they smash their finger with their hammer. Oh man, the stuff that comes out of their mouth Well, that sounds just like the old guy. That's not the new life that's imparted in Jesus Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You might be somebody... Who's proud, somebody who's got a problem with authority. But in Jesus Christ, everything becomes brand new. That is why a changed life of the new birth, of salvation, or a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's why a changed life is evidence that there is a new birth and there's new life happening. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because the Apostle Paul makes a statement in here that really describes people. And he's talking to the church that's at Corinth. These are believers. They're part of this New Testament church, this body. And Paul is writing and he's talking about those who won't inherit the kingdom of God, people who are not saved. And I want to direct your attention to verse 9 because he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor sh- extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. He's listing what the old life of sin looks like. People who are thieves and covetous and drunkards. And he talks about other things like a homosexuality and abusers of themselves with mankind. He talks about uh, those who commit fornication and, and people who use other people for their own gain. He's talking about that's the lifestyle of the old man, and then he gets to verse 11, and he says, and such were some of you. You used to be this way yourself. He says, but now you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know what he's saying here? You used to live this old life of sin just like those people, but now you don't because you've been born again. You have new life in you. You were that way. And what I'm saying is a person is going to be different because they have brand new life. And I'm also saying that if a person is not really different than what they used to be, then they're not truly saved people. You can act different for a time. But you know what? That's the interesting thing about the things of God and our flesh. Our flesh can never keep producing Our flesh can never keep on sustaining right things and the things of God. We might be able to fake it out for a while. We might be able to put on a show. We might be able to say all the right things. But you know, we're a different person in private. Eventually, the old man comes out. You cannot keep on. You can't. You don't have power to do it. You have to have new life in order to be a different person. And a person who is not a different person then what they once were before is not a saved person. I'll give you an example. You remember Zacchaeus? Now, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, a publican. He was a rich man, the Bible says. But he used other people and he... He charged more than he should. He kept the rest for himself. He heaped to himself riches and treasures. Jesus was coming by and he wanted to see Jesus. And he climbs up in a tree so he could. Jesus stops underneath the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go to your house today. And he comes down the tree and Jesus goes with him. And Zacchaeus gets imparted new life. He's born again that day. And you know what? It happened immediately. And Jesus didn't have to say a word to him about it. He said, all the the wrongs that I've done to other people, the half of my goods I'm going to give away, I'm going to restore fourfold all the things that I've taken wrongfully from other people. Man, what a change in that guy immediately because he was imparted new life. My point is, if you're truly a saved person, have a relationship with the Lord, your life is going to be different. If your life has not changed, God knows and you know You're not a saved person. Because John says, here's one way that you can know that you have eternal life, is if you have new life in you. The second thing is in chapter 2, in verse 3. Notice this, in 1 John chapter 2, in verse 3. He says here, in verse 3, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep... His commandments. You know what the second thing John states here, or that we're pointing out at least, is that when you're a born-again believer, not only do you have a new life, but secondly, you've got a new leader in your life. John says, here's how we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. The word know is used two times in this verse, but they're different words and they mean different things. The first time that John uses that word. He says, hereby we do know. The word means to perceive, okay? Here's how I perceive, and perceive what? That I actually know him. You understand this? The second time he uses the word, know him, it means resolved or sure. So in other words, John says, here's how I perceive that it's settled, that it's resolved, that I'm sure that I know him if we keep His commandments. And what I'm saying here is that the second thing is that when you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, not only do you have new life, but you've got a new leader. And so here's how I perceive that it's settled, that it's resolved, that it's sure, that I have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, because I have it in my heart to keep His commandments. When a person is truly saved, there is a true heart and a true desire to follow their leader. Their leader is Jesus Christ. You know what that means, to follow the leader? Be obedient to this book. That's what it means. To follow the leader, to be obedient to his word. You know what? The unsaved man, he'll live by the light of his own eyes. He'll live by according to what pleases me. He'll live according to what I think and what I feel. That will be what drives and directs my life. Or a person will be controlled by peer pressure or status within a community. And that's what drives their life and that's what motivates them. That's how they decide what they're gonna do because of what status I'll have or what I think and the direction I should go. But as a true believer, my desire is not to live according to my own understanding. My desire is to, what says the Lord to me, and that's what I'm going to do. I want to be obedient to His commandments. Amen. Amen. You know what I would say, and I would challenge you, and I would encourage you with this. A lot of people, just as a side note, a lot of people are, might be saved people and born again, but they're still controlled by peer pressure. They're still controlled by what other people think. They're still controlled in a lot of ways by how they're going to appear and status and so on. Let me encourage you with something. You know what? You're not going to please all people in this world. And it doesn't even matter. I would say, so what to whether or not you please people? You need to be what God wants you to be. And you need to stand on this book. What does the Lord say? Then that's how I'm going to live my life. Another thing is that people like to pick and choose which parts of this they want to believe and which parts they want to obey. But you know how I know that I know Him? My heart is to do all that He says in His Word. Not to be the master of my own life, Or to pick and choose which parts I want to obey because that fits into my agenda. My life is yours. Lord, you lead. I want to follow. And sometimes that means I need to be corrected from this book. Sometimes that means there's something in my life that's not exactly right and I need to be corrected and it stings a little bit, but my heart still says, Lord, I want to to obey you. Thank you for correcting me. How much time and energy is being spent trying to convince or please people when people don't actually really matter? My heart as a believer is to follow His commandments. That's the true heart of a believer. You know what people who run their own life or want to run their own life and they live by according to what pleases me or what I think? It doesn't demonstrate a heart of a person who's truly born again. There's another thing. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Verse 15 says, "Or, Verse 15 says, "...love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes... And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know what? When you're truly a saved person, you got a new love, too. You have new life, you have a new leader, and you have a new love. John says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. You know what? When you're saved, your love life changes. I love God. I love the things of God. I love the people of God. I love the place where God is. All of my desires and all of my loves change when I'm a born again believer. You know what? I used to be drawn to the world when I was a teenager. I grew up in a Christian home, even. I heard the truth of God's word from the time I was very little. I even made a profession of faith. I believe in Jesus Christ, but you know what? When I started to get a little bit older, the longings of my heart were not toward the things of God. The longings of my heart were out there in the world. I didn't do and get to do what I saw other people doing, fairly sheltered in a Christian home. And you know what I wanted more than anything? To go out there and experience that. And the rebellion in my heart began to grow and grow and grow and secretly and privately i was trying to do all of these things out there and still maintain this appearance over here but i couldn't keep it up and eventually my real heart came out and eventually it was like i don't want any of this i'm out i want that so i did and I went out there into the world because I loved the world and I wanted to try the things of the world. And you, you name it, I tried it, except for drugs. Never did drugs. Thank the Lord. But anything else? I went wholeheartedly for it. And after several years, you know what I realized? all of the promises of happiness that the world were making for me, all the things I thought were going to bring so much joy and contentment to my life, you know what it did? It only brought misery At the end of the day, I had to keep going back. I had to keep going back to do more just to try to find that satisfaction for a moment. And you know what? When the soul is not satisfied, you got to keep going and looking for the wrong things because what you need is new life and what you need is new, uh, a a brand new, be made a brand new person. What you need is Jesus Christ. That was me. And when I realized what a joke that was, and when I realized what a miserable wretch I was, that I had no peace in my soul, that's when God began to start drawing me back to himself. And when I finally yielded my life to the Lord, he gave me new life. He changed everything about me. I have a new leader. I want to obey him. And you know what is different about me? I do not love the things of the world. So here's the deal. People say I'm a Christian. People sit in pews like this. Maybe they come to church on Sunday. That's about the only time you might see them, though, is when they come to church on Sunday and if it's convenient. And their only time that they have for God is on Sunday morning. And the rest of the time, their heart and their desire is out there somewhere else in the things of the world. That is not a saved person. That's not a born again believer. Because everything is different and new. Your love life changes. You don't love the things of the world, you don't love the things you used to love because God imparts to you a brand new love. You know what? You love your church when you're a born-again believer. You love the place where God is. You love the place where God puts you if you're truly saved. I've heard people say, oh, I used to go to that church over there, but I just wasn't being fed. Well, is the Word faithfully preached at that church there? And if it is, I would say to them, well, maybe you just weren't coming hungry. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, maybe it's more like this. Maybe what is being preached there is contrary to your lifestyle, and that is why you don't like it. Mm -hmm. Or how about loving to be with the people of God? You have a new love. How about loving to be with the people of God? How about fellowshipping over how good God is? How much of the time is shared back and forth with the brethren about the blessing of God, what God has done in my life or what God is doing? It brings me great joy when I talk to my brothers and somebody says, you know what, you know what happened this week? And They tell me a story about how God used them to do something in someone else's life. That brings me great joy. How much time is spent back and forth just praising God for how good He is in my life? Or just having a heart of thankfulness unto the Lord. Just being a thankful person. You know what I've noticed about myself? When I'm right with God... I just find myself thanking the Lord for things, just simple little things. When I'm not so right with the Lord and my mind is on all these other things and I complain more than, I, than I'm thankful and so on. But when I'm right with God, I find myself just praising the Lord and thanking the Lord for simple things like, like even a good parking spot. Have you ever thanked the Lord for a good parking spot? Like some of the parking lots are a wreck, especially in the wintertime. And all of a sudden I pull in and it's like, oh, there's one right there. Oh, thank you, Lord. Just having a thankful heart unto the Lord for how good He is. You know what? You have a new love. When you love the Lord, you know it's only because He loved you first. And He reached down to your wretched soul and the pit that you were in picked you up and set your feet on a rock and established your goings. I know that was not of me. I love the Lord because of the fact that He loved me first. And you're keenly aware that you owe everything to Him. The things of the world, you know what? They have less and less pull. They have less and less sway on your life when you have a new love. The more that you love him and the more in love with him you grow, the less and less the things of the world mean anything to you. Our desire isn't going to be drawn toward the things of the world. John says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And if you do, the love of the Father is not in you. Look at chapter 1 and verse 4. John says there's another thing. In verse 3, he says, "...that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship was with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This, then, is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you, that God is light, And in him is no darkness at all. John says, the reason that I'm writing these things to you, we want you to fellowship with us and with the Father. And also, we're writing so that your joy might be full. You know what? When you're saved, when you're truly a born again believer, and you have new life, God also gives you a new look. He gives you a new look. John talks about spiritual joy here. He talks about spiritual fullness here. God gives us a new look. And our new look starts to take on the image of Jesus Christ. We start to look more and more like Him, less and less like we used to. That comes about... what's called the process of sanctification or the work of the holy spirit of god in my life in first john chapter 4 and verse 13 he says hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit Here's how I know that I'm a believer, that I'm a truly born-again Christian because I have the Spirit of God in me, and when the Spirit of God is in me, He is working sanctification in my life that changes the way that I look. And I start to look more and more like Jesus Christ. Sometimes, sometimes that work involves chastening and correcting in my life. That chastening... And that correcting is meant to change the way that I look and the way that I behave. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Just to the left a little bit, not too far at all. Hebrews chapter 12. And I want you to look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son... Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers then are ye bastards and not sons. He says, in other words, what he's saying here is that the chastening of God is going to happen to every one of God's children because he loves all of his children and all are partakers of the chastening of the Lord. Everybody's going to have some chastening in their life that's going to change the way they look. And if you go through life without the chastening of the Lord, what that actually means is you're a bastard, an illegitimate child, and you're not a son of God at all. That's what he's saying. Then in verse 9, he says, "...furthermore we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous." Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You see the purpose of the chastening? The chastening is to change the way that we look, to change the way we behave. And he says it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our life and we, so that we might be partakers of his holiness to look more and more like him. Did you know that the work of sanctification begins immediately after we're saved? You know what? There are things that no one has to tell you that need to be changed in your life. Did you know that? When you truly get saved, there are things that that God changes in you or wants to change. That no one had to say a word to you about. The Spirit of God is the one compelling you because you just know. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that in your life? The Spirit of God compelling. No one had to say anything about that. Do you know what? No one had to tell me to stop cursing swearing and have a filthy mouth when I got saved. No one had to tell me that that was wrong and I should stop that. The Lord did that. He just took it. The Lord just changed it. No one had to tell me that. And there's lots of other things like that. The point is, the point is, it begins immediately after we're saved. But sometimes we hinder that work of sanctification in our life. We get our little stubborn attitudes when our flesh says no to the Spirit of God. We don't want to let this thing go. Maybe there's some areas of pride. Maybe there's some areas of, uh, some character areas that should be developed in my life. But i just getting a little stubborn about that. I just want to hold on. I'm just saying no. We get some chastening from the Lord then. And we can hinder that work of sanctification. We might experience the heavy hand of God in that moment. But you know what? What do we do with our own children when they get a little stubborn, a little rebellious? What do we do when our own children show that rebellious heart? You know, the two-year-old who runs the show, oh, it's more than a timeout. More than a timeout, friend. You know the two year old that throws a fit and screams and says, No! You know what I'm talking about? I heard one pastor say this when talking about this very sort of thing. He said, You know what? That kid needs to come spend a week at my place. I operate Healing Touch Ministries. We'll work that right out of him. I'm going to change that dude. <laughs> That's what he needs. By the way, parents, let me just give you a side note here. Our job is to raise godly seed. If we're a parent, our job is to raise godly seed. And once you understand your assignment as a parent, you know what? Once you really grab hold of it, of what your job is, suddenly all your Sundays are all accounted for. You know what I mean by that? What I mean is... I'm going to be in church. I'm going to have my kids in church for their soul's sake. I'm going to lead that way. I'm going to lead in the way of righteousness. There's not other things that are going to take the place of God in my life, and I'm going to show my children who the one king is, who the ruler is. But you know what? We've got all these other things that are more important But when I understand my assignment as a parent, all my Sundays are accounted for. It's the Lord's day. We're going to be in the Lord's house. We're going to worship and we're going to honor Him. And I'm going to teach it to my children. Because you know what? You're teaching something to your children all the time. And if there are other things that are more important to you than worshiping God, your children are being taught something. Here's your standard right here. You know what? Theirs is going to be way down here. God is going to be even less important to them. It's gonna, it's gonna come back to roost. The seeds we sow are gonna come back. Our job is to train our children, and when that job of training is embraced, we have a conviction about what we need to do. You know what? Sometimes, sometimes people wait till the eleventh hour to start training their children. You know what? You can't start training them when they're twelve. If you can't control them when they're two, you're never going to control them when they're 12. The rebellious heart only grows worse and worse. You know what? Training is not about behavior modification. Although when they're little, that behavior needs to be controlled. But training and discipline is to teach them that there are consequences in life for actions, and therefore we need to learn self-control. We le- learn to choose not to do all the things that our flesh wants to do, and we choose to do what is right to do because there's consequences for our actions. It's about getting to the heart of your child. That's your job. One of the ways, as a side note, that one was free. You don't have to pay for that one. One of the ways we know that we're sons of God is his own chastening hand in our life that changes us from the inside and gives us a new look on the outside. That's a blessing. Lastly, and I'll close with this chapter 2 and verse 28, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. When you're truly a saved person, you also have a new longing. You have a new longing in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. For the sake of time, I'll just cut this short, but... As a saved person, no longer do we long for this world. We have a new longing. And that longing is to see my Savior face to face. He's coming. And when He does, I want to be found pleasing in His sight. John says that's going to be in your heart. That when He appears, you're not going to be ashamed at His coming. Let me ask you the question again Are you saved? Does this describe or look like your life? John says this is what a real Christian will have in his life or her life as evidence they're truly born again. That's how you know your soul is right with God. You have new life, you have a new leader, you have a new love, you have a new look and you have new longings. Is that you? Because a lot of people just play religion. They just play church, they come to church, and they feel like, oh, I've done my duty for the week, the big guy is happy with me, I'm all satisfied, until next week. That's not the life of a truly saved person. My whole being is consumed with pleasing the one who saved my soul that describe you. If you died today, where would you go? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use your word in hearts today. And Lord that you draw people to Jesus Christ and Lord, you promised that if we would exalt him, if we would lift him up, that you would draw all men to him." Lord, we're trying to do that through preaching your word and telling of the great change that comes into the life of a person who's a believer in Jesus Christ, truly has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that the truths of your word would resonate today. And those who need to be saved, that they would respond. In Jesus' name we pray.